0: Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. I'm Neil Headley. Welcome to a weekend where we do one of the most bizarro world things on the planet, where we voluntarily rob ourselves of an hour of sleep for reasons that no one can fully explain, or at least not reasons that justify everything that comes along with losing that hour of sleep. Yes, it is daylight saving time, which means it's Sunday morning at 2 a.m., It's actually Sunday morning at 3 a.m. We do this a couple times a year, and nobody gets it. Especially not my friend, Dr. Michael Grandner, who is the guest on this week's episode of The Snooze Button. Michael is an expert in all things sleep, but uh, has particular interest in things like circadian rhythms uh, and all of the things that get affected by things like daylight saving time. So we're going to get into that with Michael. Also, um, we're going to talk about a new survey that suggests that the average person now only gets five and a half hours of sleep. So we'll discuss that at length. We'll talk about a mess of other stuff as well, including Michael is the, the expert who is up for an email from Keith who is a listener that goes to UNLV. He pulled an all-nighter, and he's got questions about that as well. So plenty to cover here with Dr. Michael Grandner from the University of Arizona. Michael, I was taken to task the last time you and I talked uh, because I got notes from people saying, hey, I thought the rule was you asked everybody on the show how they slept last night, and how come Michael got a pass last time? So um, just to avoid any uh, discomfort, I'm supposed to ask you how you slept last night.
1: So last night, last night I slept pretty good, um, and uh, even though even though it wasn't home last night, I was able to get some good sleep and be rested for today.
0: Okay, good, yeah, and and uh, we should get this out of the way right away. Uh, Michael is uh, with us in the car on the road yeah. as we speak, so that expo- If if all of a sudden you hear things like his indicator because he's a conscientious driver, uh, then uh, <laughs> you know. Um, yes. Listen, the thing I I really wanted to. Uh, get into with you this week um People are probably wrestling with this as we speak, and I'm not 100% sure why we still do it, daylight saving time, and the stuff that that does to everybody's sleep by virtue of springing ahead and losing an hour of sleep, and I know this is a subject near and dear to your heart, I know this is something you know a billion things about, give me the treetops, what does this do to us, what does this hour of sleep do to us, and is there anything we can do either before or after to combat it?
1: Yeah, so basically, we're all jet lagging ourselves on purpose, and um, mass for some reason, <laughs> right? Um, that we don't. Nobody quite knows why we do it anymore. We just all decided that you know what well, we want to shake things up a couple times. A year. Well, a lot of it has to do with with when it's light during the day, but you know, a lot of that doesn't really matter as much anymore. And actually, there's a really interesting thing that happened last year. Um, there's, there's an organization called uh, the Society for Research on Biological Rhythms. This is the, this is a, a, a scientist organization. It's a science organization of people who do circadian rhythms research. And the thing about this organization is, you know, they have scientific meetings. They have the Journal of Biological Rhythms where people publish their findings in. But they don't make public statements. I, I don't think they have... A, a, up until last year, I don't think they've ever made a public statement about pretty much anything because they're scientists uh, and they're not public health, public advocates of anything. And then last year, they came out with an official position statement on daylight savings time saying um, it's time to retire it. We should be on standard time all the time. There's no reason to change. And if anything, there's it's a net loss. Um, and so... I know these people. I'm actually not an SB, uh, SRBR member. Uh, I probably should be, but of the well, of the organization. I in, mean, I'm not in SB, SRBR, but I have a lot of friends who are. I know the organization really well. These are not people who who come out and make claims that are not well defensible. Um, these are these are people who have dedicated their life to studying circadian rhythms in the lab, and they and they took it upon themselves to be like, you know what. We've never really said anything publicly before about circadian rhythms, but, you know, we're going to make a statement. And our statement is going to be, why the heck are we still doing daylight savings um, from a circadian perspective? So what does it do? So that the treetops version. So, So, I mean, essentially, we're jet lagging ourselves on purpose. So what that means is we're changing the external clock without changing our internal clock because we don't have direct control over that. And then we got to wait for it to catch up. And so so this time of year, the big issue is is the um, is where we lose an hour of sleep because, you know, that's what everybody needs is to sleep less right now. <laughs> so. Yeah. So 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 we all lose about an hour of sleep unless you prepare for it. And, I, and I'll t- tell you an easy way to do that. Um, and so so a couple of things happen. First of all, um, everyone's waking up and out. Even If you have to wake up at around the same time every morning, now you're waking up an hour early for a day, and so what that can do is, you know, maybe for most people, waking up an hour early isn't, isn't a huge deal, but for some people, it, it can make the difference between being able to be alert on your way to work and having trouble keeping your eyes open. Um, it could, and, and more seriously, there, there's effects on the cardiovascular system because, you know, the, the, the heart and, and blood pressure in particular is controlled by these rhythms. And the morning period is a really important time for the heart because it's supposed to be resting during the night. Your blood pressure drops. And then at, when you wake up, you know, it's, it's part of this process where, where, you know, your blood pressure is rising again. Um, and that's why most heart attacks happen in the morning uh, because this, that's a sort of a sensitive area for, for the heart. And so now what you're doing is you're putting just a little more stress on that system, which is why... At the population level, you see this uptick um, in in cardiovascular issues right around daylight saving. It's a, it's small, but on a population level, it's noticeable. And, and and there's real, you know, there's there's real people's health at stake. So, so really, for most people, it's you know you're going to be a little bit more sleep deprived than usual. So just be a little more careful. For some people who are right on the edge, you know, it might mean the difference between being all right and being not all right um, it's it is just an hour i mean and anyone who travels east an hour is really gonna have a very similar effect um, and and that's or, or if you're just randomly cutting an hour out of your sleep part of the effect is just the sleep loss and and really you know there might be a change in light rhythms um but i i think the biggest effect is is we're jolting our rhythms by an hour for no good reason. And the jolt itself is a little bit of stress for most people. And that could mean the difference between um, being just annoyed for a day or not.
0: Okay. So, uh, but a, good way, in, a good way to address it. Keeping Sorry. in mind that uh, for a lot of people, uh, they'll be hearing this after daylight saving has already kicked in. Um, I, yeah. I'm debating as you and I sit here because we'll, uh, to be honest and let people behind the curtain, we're recording this on Friday afternoon and I'm debating putting the episode out early because I bet there are things that people can do to reduce the impact of that hour or are there?
1: Yeah, so so, I mean really probably the simplest thing you can do to to minimize the impact of this is – cushion the blow a little bit. Um, and one way to do this is to actually pre-adjust so that um, you're at the point where you're going to bed an hour early uh, before waking up. Now, for most people, that's logistically difficult. Right. So, so one way to split the baby would be to go to bed about a half an hour early, like so, so if, if people are listening to this on, say, Saturday, you know, the last thing anyone wants to do is go to bed early on a Saturday, but I'm old, so I can do that. Um, so, 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 the first thing I would say would be go to bed 20 to 30 minutes earlier on a Saturday and wake up a little earlier than you plan. Um, so, so you're getting about the same amount of sleep as normal; it's just shifted around a little bit. The next thing I would say is, as soon as you wake up on Saturday morning, um, get get light that's as brightest or Sunday morning, especially get light as bright as possible. Now, some places in the country um, and in the world, it's not very bright in the morning this time of year. So you might need to turn on a really bright light or something, but getting bright light as soon as you wake up was key here because it'll help you shift. It'll help you shift just a little bit where it'll wake you up just a little bit quicker that morning, which will prepare you to go to bed just a little bit earlier the next night. So that you can you can pre-shift yourself, you know, a half an hour to an hour a day, you know, without too much extra trouble. If you if you time the light in the morning by by getting super bright light in the morning, and then also that means trying to avoid light at night, sort of as much as possible. Dim light, especially if it's sort of a warm, orangish, yellow light, is probably totally fine. Um, but prepare yourself for sleep by making the lights extra dim beforehand for a day or two beforehand. Um, And then as you're adjusting, you want to give yourself darkness at night to prepare yourself for sleep a little earlier. And then you want to give yourself bright light in the morning as soon as you wake up so that when you're waking up, so like, you know, in the morning with a, uh, with the shifted time, you're, you're already pre-shifted a little bit and you can, you can do that. You can shift 20, 30 minutes in a day, Without much effort, without too much effort, um, and it won't impact your system nearly as much as like doing a full hour.
0: So for people who are hearing this after the fact, and maybe they're hearing it, say, Monday morning, because that's when okay. episodes of the snooze button normally come out. All right. Is this one of those times where melatonin might actually help people? Because I've, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I've read a bunch of studies that suggest that melatonin doesn't really do a whole ton for very many people unless you happen to be jet lagged.
1: Yeah, so melatonin as a hormone, um, among the many things it does in the body, one of the things it does is it essentially tells your body it's nighttime. So you produce it in the evening, it ramps up, and it peaks during the night, then it dissipates uh, in the morning, and then it's, you know, very low levels during the day. So it's it's sort of this biological signal of darkness at night. Um, and for people who are taking it, the reason a lot of people take it wrong is because they're taking it to treat insomnia. And it tends not to be a very good insomnia treatment. If, if anything, it's... it's the, the fact that most people with insomnia, their body knows it's nighttime, but you can't wind your mind down and you're too mentally active or physically active and, and you can't relax and, and you can't fall asleep and you get into bed and you're awake. Your body knows it's nighttime, but you're awake. That's why it doesn't work for insomnia most of the time. But if you want to somehow tell your body it's nighttime when it, when it doesn't know, melatonin can be really useful. One, one um, time that's not jet lag where it's useful is um, sometimes older people produce less melatonin. Like, so as you get older, your nocturnal melatonin decreases. And that might be one reason why some older people wake up more during the night because their nighttime signal isn't as strong. And for those people, um, especially people taking blood pressure medications, which lowers melatonin, you might be able to help improve sleep by sort of correcting them. But most of the time, um, what melatonin is most useful for is shifting it. So um, so the way to shift somebody is you give them a little nudge of melatonin right around the time they're either starting to make it or finishing making it. So that if you if you give them a little nudge of melatonin right when they start making it, it it actually jump starts it, and so it starts a little quicker, and then which means it ramps up faster, it peaks earlier, but then it drops earlier. So you'll wake up earlier. So your whole nighttime will shift early. Or if you take a little bit of melatonin as soon as you wake up, um, it'll delay the end of your night so that your day won't actually, your your biological day will start a little bit later, which will keep you up later. So like if you're trying to shift, that's when you do. And actually the low dose is better. I mean, you could take a totally blind person who has no sensation of light and a half a milligram of melatonin can regularize those rhythms. Like it, It's not about a higher dose being better. It's about a dose in the right window. So the dose and timing is important. So like so, usually the recommendation is um, a half to three milligrams um, as, a, as a shifting dose. Um, more than that, it doesn't seem to get you a better effect. If anything, it might work less. And, and the timing is, is critical here because if you're taking it right around the time you're getting into bed, it's probably too late. You're probably already producing it. So what you want to do is take it, um, you know, the ideal time to take melatonin, if you look at the published data, is about 9 to 11 hours before the middle of your sleep period. Um, so if you're sleeping from, you know, 11 to 6, um, so that would be 12, 1, 2, 2.30, um, and then you count backwards nine hours from that. Um, that's pro- that might be the ideal time to be taking that low dose melatonin because that's when your body starts producing it in the evening. That's when that's when you've got that uptick, and you can you can nudge it a little bit there.
0: Um, if if people go back and they listen to I want to say it's episode fifteen with yeah. uh, a name that may ring a bell for you because he says that uh, there was a time when you and he were basically the only sleep specialists in Arizona uh, dr. Tucker Peck <laughs> yep yeah uh, so Tucker told us and I like I say I think it was episode 15 that one of the dangers that people can run into with dosing themselves on metaton- melatonin is that if you do it for an extended period of time you're basically teaching your body to produce less so so th- there's there's
1: definitely controversy around that where where it's it, it, it's possible that that's happening. And, and it seems like for some people that might be the case for others, maybe not. It depends on sort of when you're dosing it and timing it. Um, what if you're using melatonin to shift yourself, it should be, you know, for a short period of time anyway. So, so if people are listening to this on Monday and they're suffering a little bit, you know what I would say, if you're going to use melatonin, I would say, use it in the evening Uh, probably a a few hours before bed as a low dose, a couple days in a row, and see if it helps you get to bed a little on the earlier side. If it does, then it's doing its job, and then by the time you're going to sleep at the time you want to, you've shifted yourself, and you're probably okay. Um, And just to adjusting to a temporary change. You know, some people, you know, need melatonin all the time. Those would be... um, So, so, so some people just their biological night is, is in a very inconvenient place where most people, their biological night is like 10 PM to 7 AM or something like that. Sure. Um, where there's some people where their biological, they're real night owls where their biological night starts at like three in the morning. Like that's really inconvenient for people who want to be employed. So what (laughs) they need to do, right. So, so what they need to do is you can use light and melatonin to just shift yourself all the time. So those people just might need to be continually keeping, keeping their, keeping their thumb on the, on, on that system to keep themselves shifted. Um, so, but most people, if, if you're, if you're dealing with a temporary change, you know, use melatonin a little bit. Another use for melatonin is a different dose, like more like a five milligram dose about a half an hour before going to bed. And that can also help you fall asleep a little faster. It won't necess- it doesn't, it, might, it probably won't shift you very much, but it might help you fall asleep just a little bit fast.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um, I mean, among the things that I, I love when you and I get the chance to connect and, and talk about stuff, I, I like seeing the things that are on your radar, but I want to ask you about something that I know you saw, because I think you either liked it or retweeted it. That yeah. was on my radar this week was a yeah. survey that came out that revealed that uh, at least according to the respondents of the survey. And I have questions about that too. um, The average American now sleeps about five hours and 30 minutes a night. And in my head, I'm hearing alarm bells and, and public health crisis and all that. Am I, am I overreacting to this or is five and a half hours a big deal?
1: Well, five and a half hours would be a big deal. I, I, I don't think so. So, there have been there have been a lot of ways that sleep has been measured at the population level going back decades, and most of these indicators actually so so most of these indicators show that you know looking back so I've been looking at data from 2018, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, you know going back till 2005, 2006, and even looking at data from back in the 80s. The the average amount of sleep through all that time. Has generally been a little over seven hours. Um, So so a five and a half hour number um, on a survey seems seems like an outlier to me. Um, I think there's a lot of people in that range. I think a lot of people who are wearing trackers, the tracker is saying more like five and a half to six hours because tracker data usually has about 30 to 60 minutes less sleep um, than you'll remember having. Um, for, you know, for reasons I think we talked about. Um, so, so if it was, if it was sleep lab data saying five and a half hours, I'd be like, well, yeah, it's because most people are probably sleeping seven, showing up as five and a half, but self-reported five and a half is abnormally low. I mean, if you're getting five and a half hours on an average night, um, it's sort of the, the other problem of like, if you're, it's like, it's like someone with a 3000 calorie diet where where there are some people who can eat a three thousand calorie diet and be uh, healthy, but um, those numbers are probably small, um, and there's and we have a problem with that in our society. I mean, I was I was um, I I was I was looking at a place to go to for lunch, and I was looking at they had like this grilled chicken sandwich, but it had stuff on it, and and the menu and it had the calories, and it was like thirteen hundred calories. I'm like. Well, that's not a chicken sandwich I'm going to have for lunch, um, but we live in a society where where making the unhealthy choice isn't always easy. Isn't always making the healthy choice isn't always easy, um, and and making unhealthy choices is sometimes seen as the default. And and we have lots of ways that we encourage sleeping. So if you're getting five and a half hours of sleep, I, I would I would think about that as you're eating three thousand calories a day. Sure. Like, you know, you could probably go get by on that for a little bit and, and not have major health problems. But um, I, I, I think it's much more likely that um, if you're doing that, you're, you're not doing yourself any favors. But but yeah, at the population level. So so I'm, I'm, what I'm driving back from is, you know, the American Heart Association uh, has a scientific conference every year focused on... Uh, population level health and, and lifestyle health. health. So it's, it's, it's called the uh, Scientific Sessions on, on Cardiovascular Epidemiology and Prevention and Lifestyle and Cardio Metabolic Health. And one of the things that was talked about at this conference, to sort of even segue into sort of what's on my mind today, is, is a topic that I've sort of been pushing for for a couple years is that, so the American Heart Association um, has something called Life Simple 7. And these are the these seven indicators of cardiovascular health, right? And so there are things like, you know, not having high blood sugar, keeping your blood pressure under, ch- under control, exercising, having a healthy diet, not smoking, things like that. Um, but sleep is not on that list. And so one of the things we did uh, a couple of years ago is we analyzed national level data and showed that every single component of the Life Simple Seven um, is related to sleep in some way. Um, and not only that, adding sleep to that seven um, would increase our ability to predict health outcomes. Like we could explain health. So sleep tells you stuff about health that even all these other ones combined don't. Um, and so and so, jokingly, you know, I was in a meeting when we, were, when we were initially talking about this. I said, it shouldn't have been the simple seven. It should have been the easy eight, right? And so then, and talking with someone from the heart they're like, you know, at the end of the day, the simple seven isn't so simple. You know, for a lot of people, it's not simple. So maybe that was a bad name for it. Maybe we need to come up with something better. So like maybe instead of the easy eight, we should call it the essential eight. And um, And so what was interesting is that idea has sort of been growing. And actually there was more data, not even from me presented at this meeting. There was somebody else who was presenting this idea of, of should sleep be added and and should it be, should it actually have been the essential eight instead of the simple seven? And, you know, it caused a lot of buzz at this meeting because simple seven is sort of like, you know, one of the, one of the, the most, um, one of the most talked about and one of the most sort of um, uh, grasped uh, concepts in, in heart health of like, it's, it's really this holistic view of health and it's all these things together like well, actually, maybe when we were putting this together, you know, we forgot one, um, and so I think, you know, all the if, if there's lots of people out there getting five, five and a half, even six hours of sleep, I would, I would say to them that you know, sleep is one of those essential eight, and if you're not getting that, it's going to be hard to be in good health, and and one of these days it's going to catch up.
0: I feel like people who respond to a sleep survey probably have something in particular going on with their sleep to begin with anyway. Otherwise, why respond to a sleep survey? But that's me. Um,
1: right. Well, that, that could be part of it, where the data that I'm talking
0: about at the population level,
1: where we saw like seven hours-ish as the average, um, these were nationally representative. They weren't selected for sleep. They were just selected based on to, to represent the population. So that might, that might be part of it, too. Um, and even still, but the one thing that does seem to be changing is the number of people who say, who are getting six or less might be increasing over time. And so that might be one, that one thing that's increasing, but it's increasing slowly. I don't, I don't think it's where we've jumped up to five and a half quite yet.
0: And and while we're on this topic, um, in, in the interest of reading studies, because there are all kinds of studies that get pumped out all the time, yeah, um, yeah. probably a good idea to encourage people, if you're going to try to dive into some of this on your own and be responsible and read the studies, do yourself the favor of – uh, sort of a two-pronged approach. One, follow the money. And two, um, read the whole thing and figure out the date. Because I, I was looking at a study last week that talked about uh, this uh, amazing uh, blanket that you could get, and they tried this blanket out on these people, and um, and they they uh, they got 30 minutes more of sleep or something like that. And then you dig into the study, and what you find out is, okay, so it was a sample size of 19, which right. isn't, you, you can't go make it. It's a Sweden pilot gener- study. Yeah. And also, they got 30 minutes more of sleep, but then you find out when you read way down into the fine print that they went to bed 36 minutes earlier and got 30 extra (laughs) minutes of sleep. Well, duh. You know, <laughs> and so many times it's just it's, it's a study that's been presented to help sell a product or help justify the existence of a product. Um, so rant over soapbox put aside for a second. You yeah. mentioned things that have crossed your mind uh, since we last connected, because um, I just want to give you a heads up. Waiting in the hopper is a question that we got. Um, and you're on the hook for the Ask the Experts segment this week. Uh, we got a note about pulling all nighters from Keith at yes. UNLV. That I'm going to throw at you in a minute, but before yes. we get to that, what else is on your radar this week in the sleep world?
1: Well, so having been at this heart meeting, that's that's sort of what's been on my mind, and, and you know one thing in particular, um, there was there was a study that was presented here that that was particularly interesting. Where one of the things that that that's been looked at, that's starting to be looked at, is this idea of multidimensional sleep health. As, as an important predictor of outcomes where it's not just about how much sleep you get um, and, and really trying to wrap our head around like what are all the different dimensions of sleep and how can we measure them in in a way that can capture like the the quality of sleep and so and so there were a number of presentations here at the meeting that used uh, an approach where they they looked at, how much, but also how, what the, how satisfied are you, how regular is it, um, is, it, is, it, is, it is it timed appropriately? So, so looking at multi, multi-dimensional sleep health, I think it's an important thing for people to remember that just because asking how much you sleep is an easy question to ask, doesn't necessarily mean that that's all there is. Um, and so showing that, that actually when you combine all these things together, it's better than either anyone alone. The other thing, there was another great study that was presented, and, I'm, and I'm, I, I wish I could plug who did it, but it, we had a, um, they presented their data at this conference, and what they did was is they did a statistical analysis to show that um, they had this large data set um, of time use, and, and so what people were using their time for. And one of the things they looked at was um, if... It, In the sample, if you swap out thirty minutes of of sedentary time for either thirty minutes of light activity, thirty minutes of sleep, or thirty minutes of exercise, so moderate or vigorous activity, what would that what what would the statistical model predict um, would result in terms of these cardiovascular outcomes? And for some of them, it didn't seem to make a huge difference, but there were some that it really did, especially like overall cardiovascular health, um, and body mass index and and weight change. Um, it also looked like with blood pressure too, in particular, basically the take home message from that, from that finding. And I really hope that they get the paper out because they, they were presented this at the meeting. So it's, it's out there. Um, that if you're spending an extra half an hour on the couch, sedentary, if you were going to trade that half an hour for anything, um, The thing that gave you the best bang for your buck is trade that half an hour for exercise. Um, If you can get some moderate vigorous, an extra 30 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity, that will give you the best benefit you can get. But if you're not going to exercise, trade it for sleep. Um, That extra 30 minutes of sleep didn't give you the same immediate cardiovascular benefit as 30 minutes of working out but it was it's probably a little more accessible and it did provide a benefit. And if you're not gonna sleep, the light activity in most cases was better than just sedentary activity for that extra 30 minutes. Okay, so like at for, least get up and do something.
0: But for people who uh, have those options, you talk about swapping out half an hour of sedentary activity, or half an hour of, of being sedentary. Um, my, my gut tells me that if you swap that out for the 30 minutes of exercise, that's gonna have an impact on your sleep, right? Where having, awesome. for example, yeah. 30, 30 minutes extra sleep isn't gonna have an impact on your exercise. So it's the ripple effect, isn't it? Of, of getting the extra exercise and maybe the, the side benefit of it'll improve the quality of your sleep, or am I wrong? Well, it's
1: probably a little of both. I mean, the exercise is probably like 30 minutes of exercise probably for, for a typical person who's not sleep deprived or whatever, who's, who's sort of in the normal-ish range, 30 minutes of exercise is probably going to do more for your heart um, than 30 minutes of sleep. Uh, but um, 30 minutes of exercise is also going to give you benefits on sleep. And actually, um, for for there is data that shows that if you're able to get better sleep, it'll improve your ability to exercise. Because not only do you have more energy, um, but you're, you're better able to make use of that exercise because that's when like the rebuilding and repairing happens. So, so it does go, it, it, they could be helping. It's not an either or, but I thought it was really interesting to show that, that you know, there's lots of people who spend unnecessary time sedentary because there's just like one more episode to watch or whatever. And, th- and this, this study was really interesting where they were, they mathematically modeled what would happen if you switched out that time and showed that, um, because that's a question I get asked. Like, okay, well, if you had an extra hour in your day, would you use it for exercise or for sleep? And I would usually say, well, you know, whichever one is 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 you're more likely to do. But you know, it's it's an unanswered question. And I think this shows that actually, if you have a half an hour, you know, we don't none of us exercise enough, or most of us don't exercise enough anyway. So we might as well do that. But if you're not going to do that, at least sleep. Sleep is better than than just sitting there and it's better than even just getting up and getting light active. So I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Aside from the being lucky just to be able to pick your brain every now and then, um, I feel lucky in this exact moment that you are literally in the middle of a road trip uh, talking about 1,300 calorie chicken sandwiches and you haven't had to pull into a drive through yet. So, nope. I am hyper-conscious of your time, so I I just, <laughs> I want to let you off the hook because, for all I know, there's a, a Bob's Big Boy right there in front of you and, and you just want to pull in and not have to be held accountable for it. So, I want to jump to <laughs> (laughs) the ask the expert segment and i i this is one that came in to us um via email and if if this is your first time here in this part of the show uh all the information you need about how to get a question in front of our panel of sleep experts and it is it's a whole panel there's like seven of them um you can go to our website at the snoozebutton.com and all the details are there there's a gigantic link that says got a question for our panel of experts you click on that and bob's your uncle so here's the question and i'm just going to read it verbatim the way it came in on the email it says my name is keith i go to unlv i had a paper that i had to work on for school and it meant that i had to pull an all-nighter my time management skills aside What do I work on now? Because next time this happens, I need to know if I keep my regular bedtime tonight and just write today off. Am I okay to take a nap? What do I do when life says I have to stay up all night? Which is a great question. And if you look at the people that are talking about sleep on whether it's Reddit or Facebook or whatever, this kind of stuff pops up all the time. So what do we tell Keith? If he's had to pull an all-nighter, what does he do about it?
1: Right, we're we're the typical... Sleep person approaches don't do that. Um because it's bad for you. <laughs> right. So but 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 life life happens. So it's like the thirteen hundred um, calorie
0: chicken sandwich. Don't do that.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Well I, that 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 I, that's just, you know, bad choice. Like don't do that. But but like there's always another option, but that's a whole that's another conversation. But it's so, okay. So for this, the first thing I'm gonna say is the the thing I tell all of my students is look if you're going to do an all nighter or a most nighter where you're getting like three, four hours of sleep, um, don't do it the night before the exam because, um, because sleep is really important for integrating information and, and being able to approach the day and being able to integrate information during the day. So, so if your performance after an all nighter is going to be poor in terms of complex information integration. So, if you've just got to memorize a list of stuff, okay, maybe it's not gonna be terribly impaired. But if you have to write an essay or something, or, or make um, decisions about how things are related to each other, if you're, t- if you're doing that after not sleeping, um, you're going to be making a lot of dumb mistakes. So that aside, so you've already done it, you've done the all-nighter, how do you get back on track? The first thing I would say is, um, the way to think about sleep it is similar to diet is in that um, it's not about it's not about your bank account. It's not like I took out an extra twenty dollars. I, I have twenty dollars less to put in tomorrow. Um, that like I slept eight hours less last night, so I need to sleep for sixteen hours to make up for it. No, that's not the case. It's more like diet, where you know this is a day you chose to eat that thirteen hundred calorie chicken sandwich. So what do you do the next day? Do you eat, not, you starve yourself for a day. Well, then that throws off all your hormones and stuff too. So maybe, maybe what you should do is just get back to balance. Um, and so what I would say for someone who pulls an all nighter, maybe take a nap during the day. Don't let that nap go too long because you want to be able to sleep well that night. You don't want to throw yourself off even more. The nap may help. Um, but really focus on maybe get a little extra sleep for the next couple nights but within a few nights you should be back to normal within a couple of days if you get your about your normal sleep period as long as you're getting sort of a norm, uh, a a regular amount of sleep at night and the amount of sleep you're getting is fine giving yourself like an extra a little extra for a couple of days is probably fine no more i would say a good rule of thumb is I wouldn't change your sleep schedule by more than an hour at a time. So like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna pull it all night or spend an extra hour in uh, asleep for the next couple days, and you'll probably be back to normal. Um, just don't do it a lot because it's not like, Oh, I can pull it all night or every three days is what you're telling me. Like, no, not saying that. What I'm saying is if you throw yourself off balance, you can get back into balance. If you're consistently throwing yourself off balance one way or the other, the system is going to get stressed out.
0: Does that make sense? That makes total sense. I hope it makes sense for Keith. Uh, Keith, drop us a line once you've heard this and let us know uh, if if that all resonated with you. Um, Michael, I, I appreciate the time. As always, uh, we'll make sure people know how to find you uh, in the show notes and on our website at snoozebutton dot com. Um, but uh, drive safe. Enjoy the salad. All right. <laughs> very much.
1: Well, some something in the middle. You say, like I said, balance. <laughs>
0: Dr. Michael Grandner, University of Arizona, here on the Snooze Button Podcast. So, lots to look up when you get to thesnoozebutton.com. You can go there for the show notes, for the links. Uh, all the information on Michael is waiting for you there. Plus, a bunch of other stuff to do, too. You can go to the contest page. We're always giving something away on our website. You can leave a question for our panel of experts. There's a massive link, like I mentioned when I was talking to Michael about it. Uh, it's very easy to do. You can leave us a voicemail. You can send us an email. You can use our special. Beak pipe page, if you want to do it that way, depending on how technically savvy you are, so that's easy, too. You can leave us your feedback. Uh, you can uh, get links to all our social media profiles. If you are so inclined, you can support the show with a donation to help keep it commercial-free and keep the doors open. Uh, also, uh, we are in the process of quickly getting caught up with episodes of the snooze button express it's the nine minute version of each week's show so we take for example that what was it 35 minute conversation with michael and we hack 26 of the minutes out And so we present you with the other nine, and we try to keep in as many of the highlights as we possibly can. So lots of valuable information in not very much time. Plus, special thing that we're adding to the snoozebutton.com website. If it's not already there by the time you go and look at it, it will be there in the next couple of days. The option to subscribe to the podcast by email. Um, There are millions of people who have no idea even what podcasts are. Although there's a new survey that came out that said about 75% of people, at least in North America, have some familiarity with podcasts. It doesn't mean they know how to use them because that's still a number that's around 52%. 52% of people have never listened to a podcast. And in a lot of cases, especially with people who are of the demographic where insomnia and things of that nature become more and more prevalent, There might be a technical barrier there. And so we've made it even easier to subscribe to the podcast. When it comes out every week, it'll just get sent straight to their inbox. And there's a link there. All I got to do is click on it and boom, they're getting help falling asleep. So if you know somebody that is podcastily challenged, I don't know know if that's the word. Uh, but it is now. Um, you can just let them know that they can go to the snoozebutton.com and they can subscribe to the show by email. And when we put out a brand new episode, bam, it's right there in their inbox ready to listen to. That's all we got for this week. Until we get together once again next week, my name is Neil Headley. Hey, get some sleep would you.